So I got to know, Kev, how nervous are you for, for this? I'm not nervous at all. No? No. Good. Why would I be nervous? I don't know. I guess I'm nervous. <laughs> I just no, thought that no was pressure. contagious. No, nah, no pressure on me, man. Well, that's good. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I got to wow you, right? This is... I, I, <laughs> yeah, 100% of the pressure is on you, my friend. Yeah. Well, I actually had a little thing I wanted to talk about before we got started. Um, I don't know. Like, what... What do you think changed in the last 10 years that made emo have a different connotation? Uh, what do you mean exactly? So I, I guess like when I was in high school, the music I listened to was emo, but I didn't mm -hmm. like the word emo. Emo was kind of derogatory. I don't know if you yeah. felt that way, but like someone's like, oh, you listen to like, like what emo shit? And I think emo and goth were kind of like thrown into like kind of the same kind of bucket and kind of churned together. And it was like, oh, you listen to like sad cut my wrist shit. Mm -hmm. And it kind of got this weird, I don't know. It And it was kind of just, I, I don't know, the times, maybe the early 2000s, not late 90s kind of just felt like, oh, you listen to emo. That's kind of weird. But now it's kind of feels like the power has been taken back. And maybe it's nostalgia. Maybe it's people looking at it more fondly now than they used to and the new music's a lot better, but I, I don't know. I don't know if you thought about that at all. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's largely because of people like me, right. Who just discredited it because it was soft and it wasn't like, like we didn't want to hear about guys whining. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it, it was, it was a more of a hyper masculine time. And I think now it's just, it's more accepted to not be that. Yeah, I think that's that was the whole appeal to me with this music was guys singing and writing music that were like in touch with their feelings and like not afraid to be vulnerable and without like discussing way too much before we get into it. I think that's that was always the appeal. Like I can listen to all these rock bands and metal bands and None of it just hit the chord like it did when I was going through adolescence and hearing some of these songs. I think part of, because what you were talking about is, you know, you related to it in a deep way. And I think a lot of people, me included, use music for escapism. And so being presented with a, a form of music that sounded familiar, but that didn't let us escape from things was just like, I don't want to fucking hear about this. I don't, I, you know, give me some shit that's so far out of my realm. Um, and it, I think it, it you know, perhaps it, because it's not like metal doesn't talk about that shit. Like Pantera talks about love and loss and all that shit all the time. Metallica does it all the time. But I think it's because it was presented in such a vulnerable way and not like a classical, like tough guy kind of way. It was like, it didn't feel escapist, right? Because everybody like normally goes through like what was being portrayed. It's like, yeah, I, I'm I feel like shit in, in private. I want to not feel that way in private anymore. So I'll listen to this love by Pantera and and love it. You know, I'll listen to one by Metallica as a as a as a a, a wounded veteran and feel better about it because it's angry. 
but I don't want to have to face the same shit I have to face every day. I think that that probably has a large part of it. Um, and it was just buried underneath this. Oh, this is sissy shit. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely see that. I, I always thought like this kind of music kind of reminded me like, I, and we always, we've talked about it on other shows that we've done about TV and representation and stuff like that. But like, it was, it's great for representation for people that are super, you know, I'm super in touch with my emotions. I'm wear my heart on my sleeve. I put myself out there. And so to have music that was like just a manifestation of that and made me feel like it was okay to feel that way was just, you know, that's why we're doing this whole thing in January. Yeah. Everybody, I mean, it's not like emo didn't have its fans. Right. So it's not like everybody thought the same way that like I did at the time. It's just that that was the prevailing voice at the time. Yeah. So it's not like people didn't get it. It's just that I don't think the the listening public as a whole was ready to accept it. Plus, it's, it was a new thing. Anytime something's new, people are going to hate it because it's not what they've been listening to. Right. Right. So people hated grunge. People hated hip hop. People hated jazz. People hated fucking Elvis. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's just I don't I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's just there's a, there's a lot of different reasons. I think um, I'm still not totally sold on it. There's still a lot of stuff about it that I'm not a huge fan of because uh, the the I'll t I'll talk about it on the podcast. But there's some stuff that I still don't jive with necessarily. But it doesn't mean I can't enjoy it either. Yeah, yeah. It's like country. It's it's like country in a lot of ways for me. It's like there's shit that I love in there, but by and large, there's some stuff that still really bothers me about it. Well, let's just let's just fucking roll right into it then. Yeah, that being said, I did like all of these songs. Hell yeah. All right. <laughs> and now we present to you Jawbreaker. I'm gonna just say what? it. I've never announced what song it's gonna play, but I'm gonna do it this week. <laughs> Jawbreaker. Hey. <laughs> All right, guys, we're here. We're doing Jaded January. This is going to be, we're going to be discussing the first and second emo wave uh, mixtape style. So I, I employed some help from my buddy Chaz, like I talked about last week, that um, I kind of needed some help, and he's been like helping me kind of discern and like piece it all together. It's hard to do on your own. There's so much music to talk about. And so we're going to cover music from the 1980s all the way up to 1999 today, which kind of covers blanketly the first and second emo wave. Um, I'm really excited, Kev. How, how are you feeling? Uh, good. Like, uh, this is something that I wanted to explore because I, I really wanted to find out whether I like this type of music or not. Because for the longest time, I just accepted the fact that I didn't like it. And uh, it seemed kind of narrow-sighted as we started doing this podcast. You started showing me some more of it. And I think the turning point for me was the used album you showed me. Now, it's not, and it's not like, they may not be like a typical emo band, but they're certainly classified as that. And I was like, I really fucking love that album. And I was like, well, maybe I should give this shit another shot. Now that I'm older and, you know, 
less like inclined to be super machismo man um and i'm more in touch with myself than i ever have been at any point in my life and maybe this is something that i can do and we talked a little bit before the show where music is about escapism for me so being presented with raw feelings felt weird and not good <laughs> and i didn't like listening to it um but there were there was also that element of i was a big metal guy and here were these guys playing something adjacent to it and it, it, it but like being like not as like that macho metal front man kind of thing you know you look at the lead singer of ramstein he's fucking jacked got his shirt off fucking shooting fire arrows into the crowd and then you get uh mcr and they're you know they're they're got makeup on they're singing kind of whiny and it's like well i don't like this because it's 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 close to what i like but they're 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 making it something i don't like um so uh but i you know i've grown i've grown up since then and i i want to really kind of challenge myself to see if i if i my opinion has changed or or if my opinion can be changed yeah that's awesome i this is a good place to start we're starting from the very beginning we're gonna um kind of just start from 1985 and work our way to 1999 um but yeah i i was interested because this is going to be the the area i'm least familiar with so i know a lot of these bands a lot of these bands influence bands that i really love so for me it was always taking the time and i'm glad you brought this up because i really wanted to take the time and kind of work my way backwards we're doing like basically the star wars prequels today uh kind of figuring out how Darth Vader came to be so yep. I was really excited to do a lot of research I am reading books I'm I'm all in man I don't do deep it's dives crazy. halfway um, no you certainly don't I uh, I opened the notes you shared with me earlier today I was like holy fuck Dylan yeah. did a lot more work this week than I did <laughs> it's, it's going to be that way every week and I, I think some of the backstory and stuff is going to be more interesting this week than it will be in future weeks uh and in the mm-hmm. next couple weeks is probably going to get a little more anecdotal we're going to have some guests on um we have two guests line up in the next two weeks so this one felt like we needed to do this just you and me mama and papa mm-hmm. doing this uh <laughs> kind of you know i don't know getting back to the beginning so i'm really excited we have some audience picks um that aren't included in the mixtape but they will be added into our show notes, so you can go click on the song. Um, Grant commented on our Instagram and says for this wave of emo, the 1980s to 1999, he says El Scorcher, El Scorcho by Weezer from 1996 yep. Pinkerton. And it is an emo staple. And I, I want to get your Maybe. opinion on this, and I'll give mine. Uh, so I was actually thinking about just this this concept in general. I think emo is less of a genre and more of a a sty- stylistic choice, if that makes sense. So certainly there are bands that use that style, but I think any band can make an emo song and not be considered. I think I think that I, I think that's probably why people struggle with it a lot too, and that's why there's been such different feelings about it over the years. Because yeah, there was a there was a lot of bands making this style of music. So I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's certainly a genre. I don't want to like, I don't want I don't say that in a d- dismissive way, but I think every single band out there can make like even classical artists made fucking 
they wrote sad shit, even though they, if, if they weren't known for sad shit, like Mozart's Requiem, that could be an emo. <laughs> that could be an emo song. He wasn't known for that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It's it's something that's kind of taken a new life in the last couple of years. But I think there are like concept albums that are like being super in touch with your emotions. And Pinkerton is definitely Weezer's like most yeah. emo album if you're going to lay it all out there. But their discography yeah, like has gone on. Heartbreak. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 808s and Heartbreak is a great example of like that is an emo album. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I I think this is the most emo Weezer was, and it's hard to differentiate that in, from what they are now, which is like a band that has just cranked out music for the last thirty years, and it's impossible to listen to their entire discography. So to get back to Pinkerton and kind of just focus on that one album was really cool. And El Scorcho is a great song. Yeah. And this is the, like the end of what I consider like true Weezer too. Cause like the, there's people that only listen to like the first two or three Weezer albums and I'm that guy. So yeah, that's um, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's just, that's, that's when I, when I was growing up, they were the, they were a band that I really liked. And once they started doing what I consider to sell out, um, I was like, well, they're not the band for me anymore. That does, I mean, good for them for doing what, what, what they wanted to do, but, uh, you know, they moved on with what they wanted to do and I stuck with their past. There's right. nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, my Twitter friend, Adrian says, forget me by the promise ring from 1997's nothing feels good. We're going to cover a lot of promise ring here in a little bit. And we're actually talking about nothing feels good. Uh, that album here soon. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to that song, but, um, we also got Consolation Prizefighter by Braid from 1998's Frame and Canvas. I'd never heard that song. I thought it was really cool. Um, Back into the Left by Texas is a Reason from 1996. Don't you know where you are? Wow, what a what a song name, what a band name, and what an album name. That's emo right there. Yeah, that's like yeah, 50, it really is. <laughs> like 20 words to say the song, <laughs> yeah. the album, and the band name. Um. And then he says seven by Sunny Day Real Estate from 1994's Diary. We're going to get into yeah. Sunny Day Real Estate uh, with a different song, so I'm really excited to talk about that. And then uh, my other Twitter friend, Jeremy Levine, who was on our episode last winter, uh, he says Never Meant by American Football, which we are going to cover today. Yes, the band, that is. Yes, or is no, it, that it, song and band, yeah. Yeah, yeah, my bad. <laughs> so... um. Yeah, thank you for everyone that reached out and uh, replied. And, you know, we're really excited to, in coming weeks, I think next week is probably going to be the most contentious with 2000 to 2009. But, um, yeah, mm-hmm. it was really nice to hear from people and get some different songs. Some uh, Braid and Texas is a Reason, never heard of them. So it was really cool to hear something that I'd never heard. Yeah, and I haven't had a chance to listen to these because I saw these pop up while I was at work today, and uh, I wanted to give our playlist a couple couple more listens. Yeah. So, so um, you want to just hop in? <clears throat> yeah, let's do it, man. So we're going to start with the first wave. We're going to go back to the very beginning, and, and we're doing it in chronological order. The first song we're going to talk about and the first band we're going to talk about is For Want Of by Rites of Spring from 1985, and it's from their self-titled. So I've got some fun facts, and I'm gonna kind of uh, throw a lot of facts at you, Kev, and then uh, we'll mm-hmm. we'll we'll talk about our feelings about the track. Cool. Uh, Rights of Spring from Washington D.C. was part of a new wave of bands that appeared in 1984 and 1985. 
originating from the DC hardcore scene that are considered by many to be the first wave of emo. Now, the first two bands we're going to talk about are Rites of Spring and Embrace, and yeah, both of them from that DC hardcore scene where they kind of branched off and they wanted to be something a little bit different than just regular hardcore music. Uh, the group formed from the Ashes of Insurrection, a hardcore band featuring uh, Brendan Canty, Michael Fellows, Guy P- and Guy Picciato. Picciato. I don't know. Fuck it. Uh, following, insurrection- was right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> following Insurrection's demise, Guy, Brendan, and Michael kept jamming together, and guitarist Eddie Janney soon joined the mix while Guy added vocals to his responsibilities. Although the lives... The band's live performances were rare, only around a dozen in two years. The band was known for its passionate live shows, which could allegedly move some audience members to tears. Uh, Guy's poetic lyrics lyrics and impassioned delivery led the group to be tagged as emotional hardcore, later shortened to emo. So that's about as this is where it started as it gets. Um, During their lifespan, the group released one LP and one seven-inch EP, uh, they split upon the re- release of the EP in January of 1987 when Michael Fellows left the band, and the rest of the band went on to form One Last Wish with guitarist Michael Hampton, uh, who split after playing only half a dozen shows and recording an LP. Uh, the members of Rites of Spring reformed as Happy Go Lucky in 1987, pursuing a sound very different from Rites of Spring. So, that's a lot of information I just threw at you. But Kev, I want to know your thoughts on uh, "For Want of" by Rites of Spring. Yeah. So first of all, I love the name of this band because I can only imagine um, it's based on the Rites of Spring riots um, in I think 1914. Uh, it was a piece of music uh, debuted by Igor Stravinsky, and it was so offensive that people started just burning shit. Like he, he he debuted this performance of the Rites of Spring or the Rite of Spring, and people hated it so much and it was so offensive to the people that thought they were coming out to a like a regular classical Stravinsky performance that they just rioted in the streets it's one of my favorite stories in music ever Uh, if you haven't looked up looked it up just look up the rights of spring riots and you'll you'll have a great time um but yeah the first thing I really noticed uh outside of just the musical element of it which I'll get to in a second but the imagery in this song is incredible uh, woke up this morning with a piece of past caught in my throat and then I choked like that's fucking that's powerful shit right there I mean it's it to me it seems like this is a guy uh, not being able to move on after a breakup uh, maybe it's a bit more broad th- thematically than that but this is this is what it seems to me he wants to forget this girl but he can't because in the last line of the song it's like he says something like she gives me life or something like that um, so yeah it, I mean it's 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 exactly what you would expect from an emo song like pretty pretty visceral imagery about something that is heartbreaking right um or you know something that you feel very strongly about so but as far as musically like i love the old school punkiness of this track this is this is the type of this is the era of like punk hardcore punk whatever you want to call it this is the this is the what i consider like true punk and then you get into like where it's like it evolved out of the skinhead scene in, in the UK and it made it, made its way over to the US. And uh, I, I love it because it's just raw energy and it's short to the sweet, simple, repetitive riffs that are still catchy. 
Um, and I think this is the this is the song I listened to the most this week. And every time it came on, I got fucking hyped uh, because I just love the energy behind it. And again, the imagery is just so so good. <laughs> it's so good. It's it's misfitsy. Yeah, there's a couple there's a couple artists on here that reminded me of the Misfits for sure, especially in these early years. Yeah, uh, I I really like the lyric. I tried to hide the heart from the head. Uh, mm-hmm. Who hasn't been there? Uh, yeah, this is just a punk track with some substance. Um, obviously, the 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 cut is kind of rough, um, and they kind of didn't have a whole lot of. They had like minimal time together, so it's not like this is going to blow your socks off, but it, there is something here that is very interesting. And you can tell that a lot of bands picked up on what they were putting down. Um, I'd never heard this band until the last couple weeks. And it's just kind of cool to hear pieces of music that I was going to grow to love from other bands, you know, like Mm -hmm. their, their influence is so obvious. Uh, and, and it's not like my favorite song on this whole entire mixtape. But it's really cool to see like the OG shit. Like, this is where emo really s- started. Like, there was the Cure, there was the Smiths and Morrissey and all that stuff. But like, this yeah. is where the heart is. You know, it and maybe it's kind of like a mixture of like metal and hardcore and like getting influenced by the Cure and the Smiths and stuff like that. But I really like the Rites of Spring, and I feel like that is the OG. And I don't know. Yeah, I feel like this is closer to what it would become yeah. in the the time you were growing up. So, yeah, there was Morrissey. And we'll talk about Elliot Smith later, who, you know, is, is a different type of, like, emotional music. So, but I think that's why I, uh, this is my favorite song on the, the, the list. I, I, just every time I listen to it. There, Fugazi, we're going to talk about later. They're a very close second. Um, but I think just because I enjoyed I've talked about it before. I love the rawness of like early punk stuff and it, it just works. It works. And especially when you're doing something that has some real substance to it, you can kind of, you can feel the pain. It's visceral. Yeah. So you ready to do track two? I am. Give me those, give me those fun facts. Please. Okay. So track two uh, is no more pain by embrace uh, from 1987. It's from their self-titled from 1987. It's another, Embrace was another short-lived band from Washington, D.C. who existed from 1985 until 1986. Uh, The group consisted of Ian McKay on vocals, Chris Bald, Michael Hampton, and Eivor Hansen. Now, Ian McKay, that's going to be a name you hear a bunch today. Uh, It's a guy that I knew minimally about, but has turned into one of my favorite musical icons just from doing research. Um, The latter three had previously performed in Faith, which was fronted by Ian's brother, Alec McKay. Embrace played a handful of local shows, but split just as they were preparing to play some out-of-town gigs, a result of tensions that dated back to some of the members' time in the band The Faith. In 1987, Dish... Discord? Discord. See, you're used to to reading it from the app name. (laughs) Yep, got me. Uh, Discord (laughs) Records issued a posthumous LP. So this album came out, They'd already broken up. I love shit like that. Um, yeah. One of Ian McKay's other previous bands, Minor Threat, had a song where they coined the phrase straight edge for the first time, a term that has stuck for generations, emphasizing a lifestyle without drugs and alcohol. Man, yep, e- that, make, 
we're getting to we're getting all the way i love that man yeah yeah it makes a whole lot of sense because my first note is this is this the first straight edge track (laughs) that people demand to know i guess not i guess he wrote one before this and was like you know what i'm gonna double down um well certainly a forerunner of it if 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 not the first yeah yeah i i'm a huge fan of fugazi i've been listening to them for a, a few years now and embrace is kind of just like fugazi demos i feel like and <laughs> i i i kind of dig it like it's kind of it's kind of fun to hear ian mckay before fugazi kind of put out their the 13 song uh album and the lyrics are kind of you know they're they're not subtle at all no more alcohol it's just a kool-aid substitute no more suicide <laughs> it kills everyone like this dude I, and, and they're pretty poignant lyrics, but I really like how he just like no fluffs about him. Uh, uh-huh. And I think the song rips. It's it's rough, but the message is awesome. And I think that's why I love early emo. It's not strung up with metaphors. It's just like weirdly chanty, punky, self-aware and kind of trying to say something with their songs. Yeah. Yeah. And it, again, that comes straight from like I, I've talked about it a, a bunch. It feels like recently, but you know, that skinhead punk movement in Britain where it was all about the class wars and they're just like, fuck this inequality. I'm going to make loud music and, and fuck the status quo with it. Um, and I think that kind of, you know, infected its way into early punk in America where it's like, yeah, I like this. It's it's simple. I can understand it. It's quick. It's loud. You know, it, it's, it's every teenager's rebellious dream, right? Um but yeah, as far as this track goes, I actually just I mentioned it in my um, my notes that the the class wars in Britain and um, and how like feeling sorry for yourself will do nothing. Like the line, the purpose is within yourself. The movement is the movement is within yourself. It seems to be a crowd of bi- battle cry. <laughs> Jesus Christ, uh, for people to stop being uh, stupid and fight within yourself. Um, yeah, and it, like you said, this guy is just tired of seeing people around him destroy themselves. And that when he screams no more pain at the end, that really drives that home. Um, and, you know, I've talked about it already today. Uh, this is my favorite era of punk just because it is it is what it is. There's no frills. There's no, like you just said, there's no metaphor to it. Um, it's very surface level, and it's easy, it's easy to get into it because the message is clear, the music is loud, and it's fast, and... It's just raw primal energy. Yeah, I feel I feel like where you were kind of talking about metal frontmen, this is like punk frontman. Like Ian McKay yeah. is a a punk frontman, an emo frontman, whatever you want to call him. He's just like he has that presence and like even in the like tracks, you can feel like you can picture him like being in a live show and like yelling these lyrics out. Uh so yeah, I love it. Yeah, standing there with that stiff upper lip and, uh, yeah, pounding, pushing his fist in the air. And, uh, uh-huh. yeah. Yep. We, I, it's very, very vivid. We might as well get into the best Ian McKay song we're going to talk about today with Wait, <laughs> Waiting Room by Fugazi from 1989 from their album 13 Songs. Um, Let me ask you before I get into fun facts. Did you know anything about Fugazi before this? I have heard of Fugazi, and I'm sure I've heard. I know I've heard this song before, but I've never listened to Fugazi. If that makes any sense, yeah. Uh, like I've never like taken the time to like. I know they're like legendary in that scene, 
otherwise, I probably wouldn't have heard of him because uh, I'm not a huge historian of this type of music. But um, yeah, I was excited when I saw him on here because, like I said, I had some peripheral knowledge of who they were and how important they were. So, yeah, I I saw that Fugazi was actually an acronym that they got from like the Vietnam War. It stands for fucked up, got ambushed, zipped into a body bag. So right out the gate, Fugazi is already like the coolest band we're going to talk about today. Um, <laughs> yeah. So Fugazi is an American post-hardcore band that formed in Washington, D.C. in 1986. Very swiftly after Embrace ends, Fugazi starts. And it consists of guitarist and vocalist Ian McKay, Guy Picciato, which we've already talked about, uh, bassist Joe Lally, and drummer Brendan Canty. They are noted for their style transcending music, their DIY ethical stance, manner of business practice, and contempt for the music industry. I think we can all agree we stand for all those things too. And the fact yes. that uh, the stuff I'm about to get into is so endearing about them, especially everything going on with Ticketmaster right now. On their first tours, Fugazi worked out its DIY ethical by trial and error. Their decisions were partly motivated by pragmatic considerations that were essentially a punk rock version of simple living. For example, selling merchandise on tour would require a full-time merchandise salesperson who would require lodging, food, and other costs. So they decided to just not do merch. <laughs> Genius. Um, yeah. They were motivated by moral or ethical considerations. Uh, another example, Fugazi's members regarded pricey admission for rock concerts as tantamount to price gouging a performance most loyal fans. Everyone with Taylor Swift knows what I'm talking about with that. Yeah, um, yeah. Fugazi's inexpensive target goal of $5 admission was spawned during a conversation on an early tour when the band members were debating the lowest profitable admission price. Uh, Fugazi had a mindset that believed that any involvement with the system was corrupting and you should create completely alternative structures outside. Out of the box thinking, I love it. That's punk as shit too. Fuck yeah! Uh, <laughs> and in later years, Fugazi was unable to negotiate ticket prices below about ten to fifteen, which is still for a, a band that was as big as they were. It's it's admirable. They never really saw the five dollar rules and voluble, instead aiming to charge a price that was both affordable and profitable. Unlike some similar independent rock contemporaries, Fugazi's performances and tours were always profitable due to the group's popularity, low business overhead costs, and McKay's sense of audience response in given regions. Many times, the band performed sold-out shows multiple consecutive nights at the same venue. And I also saw uh, something where they would not play at like traditional rock places. They would like rent out a bowling alley they would go yeah. to like fucking chuck not chuck e cheese but like places like a pizza parlor and they would sell that place out because that also is punk as shit if i see something in like close to where i live and it's not in a it's not at bogarts i'm like what yeah, yeah hell yeah exactly. i'm gonna go um it just reminds me of the uh what the fuck is up dennis <laughs> yes <laughs> that, that, that's, that's the iconic. video of all time yeah <laughs> Uh, they also made a point of discouraging violent, unwanted slam dancing and fist fights, which was huge around this time. Late 80s, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s. Hardcore shows were rough, and especially in the hardcore punk er era. Um, someone was quoted as uh, saying that uh, 
Slam dancers have one form of communication, violence. So to disorient them, you don't give them violence. I'd say, excuse me, sir. And he would freak them out and say, stop the show and say, will you please cut that crap out? Um, it almost, and it's the, the person that wrote this said that um, it seemed preachy to some. <clears throat> and by and large, most people would obey. It wasn't really cool to disrespect Ian McKay. Occasionally, Fugazi would have unrepentant slam dancers escorted from the concert and give them an envelope containing a refund for whatever they paid to get in the concert. <laughs> and they had like a cache of cash that they would like keep just in case they had to kick people out. So even when they're kicking people out, they're giving them their money back. Like, sorry, this wasn't for you, but gone get. Um, yeah. And I saw a quote that said, too many Fugazi meant as much to them as Bob Dylan did to their parents. Yeah, and that that point is is so salient because I've experienced something like that before. Um, it was by the very last like competitive football game I ever played. Where I forget what the name of the college was, but it was some heavily. It was just it was a very very Christian college, right? Um, and I destroyed this guy on a block on a uh, field goal, just drove him into the ground, and I was like fucking pumped because I killed this dude. And he just looks up at me and he said, "That was a great hit, seventy nine. And it fucking, I, I will never forget that, dude, because it fucking threw me for a loop. And it just, it took all of the violence out of my body. And he, so he was just so complimentary of me. And I just fucking destroyed this dude. And it, it really, it, 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 he's right. It, if you don't give somebody what they're giving you, it's going to throw them completely off their game. And I just, like I said, at that moment, all of the violence, all the fucking amped energy I had from killing this guy um, was gone. And I was like, oh, I mean, okay, thanks. Yeah, it, it's it's like, uh, you ever watch Point Break? Yeah. It's basically body from Point Break, Patrick Swayze's character. That's like his whole entire ethos. It's like, yeah, just be in touch with yourself spiritually and like find out what you're passionate about and like just do it and go for it. And it's not, what's he say? It's not tragic to die doing what you love. Like mm-hmm. that... I kind of picture Ian McKay, even though I don't know what he looks like, even though I just, I've been listening to Fugazi, but I'm just learning about him and I'm already in love. Having an ethos like that makes him so, I get why people follow them like Bob Dylan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you build, if you spend so much time building a brand like they did, um, people are going to respond to that in either a positive or a negative way, but it's going to get a response either way. So that way you'll leave your mark. And I think that's, that's what a lot of people don't really think. They always want to think, Oh, well, what are other people doing? Because that's successful. But really the people that have a lasting mark and the brands that have lasting marks, are the people that are trailblazers, right? Yeah. People that will do the shit that's against the status quo of whatever medium they're trying to succeed in. It's the same in business. It's the same in like, personal relationships like nobody remembers the boring dude they remember the guy who the guy or gal who is like has something interesting to say or ha- you know has an interesting personality quirk um it's you, you have to do something that is not considered quote-unquote normal to leave a lasting impression 100 percent. so uh we should talk about the track now yeah huh? we might as well hey <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm vaguely familiar with Fugazi. Like I'm aware of them, but I've never actually listened to them. So yeah, now, like I said, I was, I was stoked to see them, them pop up. 
And what immediately struck out stuck out to me in comparison to the last two tracks is how well constructed this song is um, musically. Like the intro is is awesome. You get the the really cool bass tone. It's just laying down this super groovy bed, which is completely different from what we've heard at this point. The drums just like ferociously shuffling over the top of that, giving you like it's driving like a steady head bang. Like not like a metal head bang. It's just like you know you're you're letting the groove get in and it, it happens in your neck. Um, and then there's just this guitar just skittering around in between those two layers. And it's just, I don't know, man, there's just anytime you can hear different layers and they're all so unique, but all meshed together in a way like that, I'm going to immediately fall in love with a song. And that's exactly what happened every time this song came on. That's why I think this is like one, one B to the one a, um, there was just something, there was a higher level of musicianship here and you can kind of tell. I mean, just based on what we just talked about, right? You can tell about what they were, they cared a lot about what they were doing. And that's part of why they endure. Um, you know, you can, you could do all this other shit, but if you're not good, nobody's going to come to your shows. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, the vocals in the song also kick ass. This is, this is what reminded me of the Misfits um, because it's, it's almost more um, conversational. And it leads to kind of this like really amazing anthemic feel. It almost it, like I, I got a little bit of Dropkick Murphys in there too, where it just feels like you're talking with a friend. Um, I don't know. There's just something really cool about if it's done well, right? Uh, I know both you and I have some reservations with spoken word at times, uh, so you can very easily fall into that trap where if you sing conversationally like this, but they don't hear. Um, and I think it's in large part to parts like where it's the the everybody's moving 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 it's just it's so fucking good uh -huh. every time that part, yeah every time that part came on it's impossible not to channel along to it's like i i'd be listening to it like just in my car kind of paying attention to what i'm doing but i felt that part coming and i got amped i was like and i would sing along every single time um you know the message is simple stop waiting around for your your shot to come uh get off your ass and make something yourself and i think that's you know it again it's simple it's to the point it's easy to get but then you wrap it in this super super creamy uh musical package and it's uh it's a recipe for success for sure it's definitely way more sophisticated like i i feel like we're getting out of like the emo cave and we're walking on two feet now um yeah <laughs> and you know it you know the difference between like the first two tracks and track three when you hear that opening baseline that it's stuck in my head constantly and then the guitars come in and kind of match that energy and mm -hmm. yeah it's just it's a call to action and this song is a whole it's it's what kick-started this playlist for me like this is where we woke up and uh it is like a get on your feet and i think they are activists and they are the way they're activists the way activists should be like they talk the talk, they walk the walk, and they care. And yeah. they've become like one of my favorite artists this week just from their ethos, from their sound. And yeah, I this was worth the entire month just to get to deep dive on Fugazi. Oh, yeah, I'm actually gonna I'm gonna try to listen to some more as well because like I said, I know I knew of their importance, but I've never really listened to their music. So uh that seems it's a gap in my knowledge that I'd like to fill for sure. Before we move on, I saw a TikTok in like 2020 during the lockdown, and this girl's like, I have a super 
reactive dog or a hyperactive dog, however she worded it. And the only thing that calmed her dog down was playing Fugazi on her TV. So, like, <laughs> the dog would just, like, stare at the TV. And I was like, that is awesome. So I started listening to him while I worked out. And, yeah. Let's talk Come about on, something you? completely different. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We're getting into the second wave now. We're kind of transporting to 1994. We're going to talk about Songs About an Angel by Sunny Day Real Estate from 1994's Diary. Uh, Sunny Day Real Estate was an American emo band formed in Seattle, Washington in 1992. The band helped bring the emo subgenre from an underground musical phenomenon to a wider audience. The band's lineup is Jeremy Inick, uh, Dan Horner, Nate Mendel, and William Goldsmith. In 1994, the band released their debut album, Diary, on Sub Pop Records to critical acclaim. However, shortly after recording their second album, LP2, the band broke up. Uh, rhythm section Mendel and Goldsmith joined Foo Fighters, while lead vocalist and guitarist Enik uh, embarked on a solo career. Uh, I think the bassist is still in Foo Fighters which is crazy. Uh, in 1997, yeah. they regrouped long enough to record two more studio albums and a live album, but ultimately disbanded once again in 2001. They've reunited a couple times since then. Um, uh, bassist Nate Mendel chose to remain with Foo Fighters. I think he's the longest standing member besides Dave Grohl, which is really awesome. And uh, I think the other guitarists that joined Foo Fighters didn't make it past an album. He really, yeah. I, the drummer I know for sure didn't get along with um, Dave Grohl. I can, as you can imagine, Dave Grohl recorded everything for the first Foo Fighters album, so he was very critical mm -hmm. of the drummer that he brought on and right. made him take like ninety six takes on one song. So, <laughs> yeah, things didn't end well for him, but he came back and um, they released one song in two thousand fourteen. But besides that, they've kind of been dormant and. They did a tour, which I think they are. They had to reschedule some shows, but they're playing some shows in 2023, which is crazy. Even though they have one song in the last 20 something. Years. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, at, at this point, they've been around in a consciousness. They don't have to have new music to tour. They, they can just tour based on their their legacy. Right. I kind of so. prefer if they don't make new music. But you know, yeah. Why? Why would you at this point? Um, so yeah, I, I guess I'll just start into this song because this is a band I was really excited for you to hear mother fucking mm -hmm. sunny day real estate. And I think after doing the Deftones, I realized that I love bands that do like the subdued verses and big choruses, which means mm -hmm. I love Deftones. I love sunny day real estate and I love brand new, which we'll get into next week. And they follow that. And for whatever reason, it, it works for me every single time. Um, I gotta ask: Is this the best band from the '90s to come out of Seattle? <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna comment on that. Because, <laughs> okay, uh, all right. That was you know just, I'm that was just me uh, stirring the pot a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. I embrace the fall. You're married to your pain. Are two of the most iconic lines from this song for me, and I kind of picked it because it is a song that pays off. This is a long song that pays off. And I think that's always yeah. been my gripe is if it is a long song, it better have a reason for it. And I kind of broke my own rules because I'm like, there's no song that needs to be over five minutes, but the <laughs> next two tracks are going to be over five minutes. I'm sorry. Um, the song just has such great heights and 
when it gets that low low like for the verses and like it almost sounds like the song's ending the song like jacks way up and it like rocks you into like a i don't know i love it so much yeah so when i first heard this well first of all i was shocked by the length of it i was like there's no way dill picked this <laughs> <laughs> it's over six minutes long there's no way dill picked this um but yeah when i first when this first came on i was like i don't know this might be where we start to unravel um that for especially in that first verse i was like this is a little too subdued for me and that but as soon as we get to that pre-chorus and from there on um we get that that power that comes back that i that i that i crave um it's it's it, we get the distortion that I really like that I think brings the energy that you, that you need in a song like this. Um, and it, uh, you may not like this, but I think let me let me explain myself. Um, it reminds me of a Nirvana B side almost, like something I could absolutely see them having done a cover of this and kind of like their own style. Um, it's heavily distorted, incredibly moody. Um, it has a ton of self introspection, which I think fits what, especially like right before Kurt Cobain died, that he was doing a lot of shit like that. Like if you listen to um, their unplugged set, he does a lot of covers um, that are very like down and make. It was a lot of shit that he loved, but it was also stuff that was different from what Nirvana was doing. And it felt like this is something they could have done had they, you know, had Kurt not, you know, offed himself <laughs> um i don't know why i laughed <laughs> i thought you were gonna say um, die but you yeah you just went for it yeah he killed himself so you know he he swallowed the wrong end of a shotgun Jesus um, Christ. <laughs> um but yeah no i think i know i know that might sound like sacrilege to maybe some of the guys that like love this band but to me that's my touchstone for this um, and I think, you know, I think Nirvana do, could be a lot of the stuff they did could be considered emo. I really do. I mean, Heart Shaped Box, that's an emo fucking song, you know. Um, but yeah, so I was I went to Genius for a lot of this shit and Genius. I don't know if this is what it actually was, but it seems like the, whoever wrote the annotations was like, this is an, a conversation between the writer of the song and a literal angel. And how the angel's trying to give him like hard advice that he doesn't necessarily want to hear, which is a cool interpretation. Uh, but I prefer to think of it as competing voices in the writer's head as they contemplate suicide. It's which will I choose, which is right. I don't know, but I'm going to scream myself in, the, in this chorus for six minutes until I figure it out. And to that is, I like that interpretation a lot more, mainly because it's my own. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's just more interesting to me. I, I, you know, um, and I don't think I don't know. It just doesn't feel like that heavy of a a metaphor works for this song. I, I think it's it really is more about introspection and you know when you get to that point and you're thinking about doing something like that, that feels like the conversation you have with yourself at some point, right? It's you you can see the right side of both things when you know when you're not in that state the obvious it seems obvious that staying alive is the right choice but once you get to a certain point you start to have these conversations with yourself and it be the the the, the lines become blurred and i think that is a uh that is an interesting 
more interesting, more human way to look at this this song. And it, it really kind of grabbed me every time I listened to it. Yeah, that's way deeper than I was even thinking. I was just thinking, like, you're, I don't know, kind of doing some, like, inward looking after a breakup. Like, am sure. I, you know, am I the right person? Was I, was I always wrong? You know, kind of like that. But it, your explanation makes me like the song even more. Yeah, I mean, it's the main reason, like, I, I really kind of grabbed onto this song as I started really listening to what was being said. Uh, I was like, yeah, this is this has something to say. And I, I almost regret going to Genius to see what they had to say, because a lot of times I don't agree with what the people that annotate stuff on there say. Yeah, uh, it, it feels like people grasp at straws quite a bit. Unless it's something directly from the artist, I don't really trust it. Yeah, um, because it's just one person. Song, you know, Songmeetings.net was the worst at that. <laughs> yeah, Unlimited it's... people's opinions on songs and you're, you have to wade through it all. But that's that's the beauty of it, right? There's no right answer unless it comes, unless the artist tells you exactly what they were writing about. Um, you can interpret it any way you want, and I think even if they do tell you what it's about, it can mean something different to you, yeah, based on how you perceive it. So, yeah, I love it. Um, track five, uh, we're continuing the second wave by going straight to 1995 with "Accident Prone" by Jawbreaker from their iconic 1995 album. Dear You. Uh, Jawbreaker is an American punk rock band active from 1986 to 1996 and again since 2017. A lot of these bands had like revivals similarly around the time of like the mid 2010s. Um, the The band is considered to be extremely influential to 1990s emo and punk with their poetic take on hardcore as cited by James Monger of All Music. Overall, critics have cited Jawbreaker as the best punk rock band of the '90s. Would you agree? Uh, I don't. I haven't listened to them enough, okay. but uh, I that would be a hard crown to take. I think. Yeah, I mean, you had some tight. You had some real titans in the '90s, so that's that's going to be a tough one. Yeah, uh, Jawbreaker's tour manager Christy Calcord recalls that most of the fans hovered around the lead singer Blake because he was like this poet to them. It was all these people who really wanted their heartbreak validated by someone who could understand or wanted to drink whiskey with them. That could just be, if anything else you take from this, that's all emo is. It's like hearing someone validating heartbreak, you know? Yeah. Uh, The idolization of uh, the lead singer Blake came to be described as the cult of Blake. According to rock critic Chris Ryan, in terms of contemporary music, the cult of Blake is probably matched only by the cult of Morrissey. There's some huge, <laughs> some huge uh, lines yeah. being drawn here, but I love yeah. it. I love it. You know, it's been 30 years. We might as well just throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Public interest in Jawbreaker increased in the years following their breakup, due in part to chart-topping acts such as Fallout Boy and My Chemical Romance, publicly citing Jawbreaker as an influence, myself included. I didn't hear of Jawbreaker up until after their breakup, obviously. Um, and I think that, yeah, uh, there was a, a tribute album that they made um, called Bad Scene, Everyone's Fault, a Jawbreaker tribute featuring 18 acts, including Fallout Boy, Bayside, Face to Face, and Sparta, covering uh, versions of Jawbreaker songs. And that's actually how I heard a lot of their songs for the first time was covers so i want to know i want to know your thoughts on jawbreaker 
So I think you know what I'm about to say, and I, I think I know what that's why I think that's why you picked it <laughs> for for the opener. Um, so every time this song fucking song came on this week, my brain fucking exploded because I I was like I know I've heard this intro before, and it sounds like a Deftones intro, and finally today i went through and i was like i gotta fucking find it because i know i've heard i know i've heard this intro before and um fuck what was the song i don't remember yeah you just sent it to me um it was minus blindfold yes minus blind we just covered that album too the the intro to this song and the intro to minus blindfold are exactly the same like note for note exactly the same and i was like okay well who who stole it from who nobody stole it from anybody because these albums came out in the same fucking year (laughs) so they just wrote the same exact riff at the same exact time and it's fucking mind-blowing to me the only difference is jawbreaker added two long notes to the end of the phrase and but then it repeats like the the deftones in uh, minus blindfold they just they took they didn't have those two long notes and they just repeated the phrase but it's the exact same almost tonally exactly the same too uh jawbreakers is a little bit cleaner than the deftones version but it's fucking it, it floored me uh it's just it's just a wild so it's just such a wild coincidence uh and you know i told you in the in the text we were going back and forth i was like this cements deftones as an emo band that they're yeah. a very angry, very, very, very angry emo band for adrenaline but they, you know they calm down and they start doing stuff that would be I, what I think, if you look at the definition of what emo is, metalheads aren't going to like it, but they're an emo band, man. They're just metal emo. That's that's all they are. And um, it's it's crazy to think about a band that I've loved for so long being classified in a genre that I hated for so long. Oh man, can you <laughs> imagine? Face- can you imagine talking to Kevin in 1998 and letting him know that Deftones is emo? If you had told me in like in high school that Deftones were an emo band, I'd have fucking fought you on the spot. <laughs> on, on the spot. There's no fucking way because, like I said on that on that episode, Chino was a hero of mine, man. Like, yeah, he was just he was cool. He was fucking making music that I loved. How could you and do this, Chino? <laughs> yeah, how could you how do this you, to Kevin? How could you betray me? Um, but yeah, man, it's uh, it, you have to face facts. Anyway, not this song. Well, sort of this song, but. Uh, the, the intros where the similarities end uh, it, between those two bands, really. Uh, it's still distorted, but it has more of a neutral sadness and ennui than like the pure rage of the Deftones. Um, and the tone of this, it's, it's interesting because the tone of the song doesn't sound all that sad. It almost feels almost uplifting at parts. If you're just listening to the instrumental bed, uh, especially when like the tempo picks up in the refrain, but this is not a happy song. This is a man deeply depressed uh, with what a fuck up he is and how it affects every single relationship he's ever had. Uh, it's a peek into the mind of a socially inept person and how being socially inept can kind of pile on. And it's it's a it's a vicious cycle, right? Like you can't talk to people. So you can't form meaningful relationships, but because you can't form meaningful relationships, it makes you turn more and more inward. And it's, it's, I don't know if everybody's experienced this, but I've experienced it where you get this, this vicious cycle of continually being socially crippled by things. And this is exactly why I don't get high anymore because this is exactly what happens to me when I smoke weed, especially in a group setting. It's, I, I, 
I don't know how to act and I can know I'm not, I don't know how to interact at that point. And so I just, this inward spiral of I, everybody's fucking knows. I don't know how to talk to them. I, so it makes me more, more like curl up into a physical and like emotional shell. So it was crazy to actually like follow along with these lyrics and just hear something that I've dealt with on a very personal level before and how truly crippling it can be. And I don't know if somebody who hasn't experienced it before would really understand that, but this, this song does about as good a job of explaining it as you possibly can. Hey, let's say it right now we're in the cult of Blake. We've joined it <laughs> yeah. verbally committing 30 years after this album comes out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I love this song, man. It, it there is something about a loud anthem about a song so personal like this. It's that's fucking emo to me, baby. Like that yeah. is that guitar intro is beautiful. There's just so much here about like talk, kind of confronting your past mistakes and trying to figure out how to prevent them from happening in the future, but you're accident prone, you know? Um, there's something about this song too that I really enjoy. It's another six minute I really apologize for that. Didn't do it on purpose. Oh, fine but with me, dude. You know, I don't care. <laughs> we waited two minutes for that first chorus. But my mm-hmm. goodness, when it hits, it's juicy. It's anthemic. It's it's awesome. And I wish I could say, like, oh, I did this on purpose. I wanted to throw two minute, two six-minute songs at Kevin and kind of see what he thought. But it kind of follows what Sunny Day Real Estate did. Like, using that six minutes perfectly and... There are some lines I really liked. I couldn't wait to breathe your breath. I cut in line. I bled to death. I got to you, and there was nothing left. Um, just kind of being about the chase being more important than getting to know the person you're chasing. I think everyone has been there, and it's just another one of those things kind of discussing his accidents. You know, you get it in your mind that this – it's kind of like uh, 500 Days of Summer. He chases Summer. He gets heartbroken by Summer, even though Summer wasn't the right girl for him. He had it in his mind, and I think that's kind of what that lyric was kind of saying, and I thought it it kind of took me to 500 Days of Summer, which is always a, a bad place to be. Yeah, not, <laughs> not, not good. No. <laughs> but yeah, Jawbreaker, I can't wait to listen to more. Uh, that Dear Diary album, I listened to it a couple times this week, and I really want to get into it more. Yeah. Um, yeah, you ready to move on? Yeah, so track six. Uh, we're still in the second wave. We're talking Oh Messy Life by Cap and Jazz from 1998. Um, actually, this album is from 1995, Schmap'em Schmass. But on Spotify, the only way you can listen to it is on that <laughs> that awful name, Al- Anal for the Better. It's like 30 letters. It's so obnoxious. <laughs> um, but it's actually from a release that that ended up on Spotify. It doesn't really matter, but um, yeah. Captain Jazz, sometimes stylized as C-A, capital P, and Jazz. Don't know why. This band was eccentric for no reason. Um, yeah. They were an American emo band formed in Chicago in 1989 by brothers Tim and Mike Kinsella. Now, if that sounds familiar, we're going to talk about American football here in a little bit, and Mike Kinsella is the lead singer of American football. So, uh, they were joined by Sam Zurich and Victor Va- Villarreal. Yep. 
After a new a number of uh, name changes and the addition of guitarist Davey Von Bolin, the band began to earn a cult following in the Chicago area and the Midwest. The group released their lone LP in the spring of 1995 and broke up while on tour later that year. Members would continue music in bands like The Promise Ring, which we're going to talk about, uh, Joan of Arc, and American Football, which we're also going to talk about. Uh, Fueled by some of the members' post-Captain Jazz activities, interest in the band grew after their breakup in 1998. Um, and that's where all these... That's where the... Uh, came to be um it just they kind of put all their recordings together by the record label and put them all out as a double disc release in 2010 the band the band reunited for a series of live shows around chicago as well as a short out of state tour uh the group reunited for a few shows again in 19 and 2017 with mike and tim's cousin nate filling in for dave von bolin who declined to participate so cap and jazz kev um this has those like Midwest emo guitars that we've all grown to love. And it's kind of cool to hear them as early as 1995. You know, Mm -hmm. this is, it's so obvious once you hear it, like this is going to be Midwest emo. Maybe it wasn't called that then. I don't really know. Um, And it's kind of a cool, weird precursor to American football. The vocalist is way more gruffly. um, And it's the lyrics are nonsensical, kind of like, deftone lyrics like the more you read them the more they makes less sense less sense yeah (laughs) yeah but the the hallmarks are american football are there and i think that's really cool to like hear a little more like goofy version of american football and this was kind of my way of making it up to you like sorry for the last uh two tracks being (laughs) six minute long here's a two minute banger for uh with like a great sing-along chorus that means nothing yeah, no, it's a, it's a great fucking band name, first of all, Captain Jazz. Uh, I immediately saw that and just got happier. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I fucking love it, man. It's 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 just such a strange... I can't fucking speak tonight, dude. My fucking... I don't know. I don't know if it's just because I'm so fucking tired or what. You, have a, you having a, a stroke? Uh, maybe. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I had an old messy life-induced uh, stroke here. Uh-huh. But yeah, it's a strange juxtaposition of like really funky guitars in the first verse and then the absolute calamity after the first chorus. It's almost like it's joyful instrumentals underneath a swirling lunacy of vocals. That's the best way I can descri- <laughs> describe this track. Uh, and it's a wild ride and I'm I'm ready to take it. Like I don't have a whole lot else to say about this other than I just fucking loved it uh because as i listened to this playlist mostly in order i did like one random playthrough then i realized i was getting the same like four songs over and over again i was like well i'm not getting the playlist so let me just listen to it in order um but yeah especially like the way this mixtape is constructed this is such this would be the palette cleanser on this mixtape so um well done to you and well done to captain jazz for making a, a fucking weird ass song and we all know how i love weird weird ass shit so uh my my current obsession is necrogoblicon and they're as about as weird as it gets so <laughs> old jo- old john goblicon is uh is is one of my heroes currently <laughs> yeah there there's something about just although the emo stuff has been very serious and then to get something in the same vein but still just kind of weird i love it yeah yeah, it's it's super weird, not kind of weird, yeah. but it, 
it's a listenable weird though, which is which is a big distinction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so our next one, track seven, "Red and Blue Jeans" by The Promise Ring from 1997's "Nothing Feels Good." It's another iconic album. Uh, the Promise Ring was an American rock band from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, that is recognized as part of the second wave of emo. Among various other EPs and singles, the band released four studio albums during their initial run. Uh, 30 Degrees Everywhere in 1996, Nothing Feels Good 1997, Very Emergency in 1999, and Wood Slash Water in 2002. Their first two albums solidified their place among the emo scene. Their third effort shifted toward pop music with their final record uh, being much more experimental in nature. Uh, The band initially broke up in 2002 and has reunited sporadically. Tell me if you've heard that before. It's like our third band in a row that's gotten together, (laughs) you know, after nostalgia hits and people hit their like mid thirties, I think. Um, But they haven't had any new material since um, 2002 and their last live performance was in 2016. Um, the Promise Ring was established in 1995 by guitarist Jason... N- oh God, these people with their last names. Jason <laughs> Newikow and drummer Dan Didier. Uh, Captain Jazz guitarist Davey Von Bolen joined the band soon thereafter and became the band's vocalist. All these bands are like intertwined, which is, the, yeah. I think, maybe my favorite part of this was realizing all these bands were kind of just like together so you're in one iconic band and it breaks up kind of soon the next one's going to be where you really take off uh yeah, the tr- we're really gonna nail it this time guys. <laughs> yeah it. yeah <laughs> captain jazz was fun but we're really gonna get into it in the promise ring <laughs> but uh the trio remained the promise rings core members throughout its history the band has employed a host of bass guitarists throughout its existence but current bassist scott schoenbeck has remained the group remained with the group the longest uh so the album nothing feels good which is what uh red and blue jeans is featured on is noted for pushing the band to the forefront of the emo scene which helped forge the ways for subsequent landmark releases from their peers such as something to write home about by the get up kids which we're going to discuss here soon um and bleed american by uh jimmy Eat world which oh, yeah. is which is a band unfortunately we're not going to get to talk about which i feel bad about but just couldn't make it fit not everybody can make it in it's a it's this is a there's a reason we did 10 we it's a nice big number this is going to be a longer episode but you can't fit them all yeah can't fit them all and if you don't know about jimmy world then i don't know what to tell you (laughs) yeah i mean yeah everybody everybody knows jimmy world uh you want to go ahead and start on this or you want to hop right in yeah you go sure um this feels this felt like the gift to me this song because what does this have? It has um, almost no lyrics. <laughs> so, and it's a fun instrumental just to vibe with. And uh, this is this is uh, the thing that immediately stuck out to me was this was the first track that really felt something close to contemporary, to where we're at right now. And it's it's so readily apparent just by the clarity and production value of this track. Um, they, you know, they, we aren't recording with potatoes anymore. You know, <laughs> we've got actual microphones. We've got actual like a producer in the studio with us, and it, it's it shows right. They, again, I, I can ride both sides of the fence, especially in this genre where I, I normally lean towards give me all the production value you can cram into this thing. Um, but yeah, it's just a lot of fun. It's a it's it's maybe a bit symbol heavy in the mix, but it's just a fun song about like 
wanting to be with like a typical American girl in her red and blue jeans. Yeah, I, I see. I I took it as like focusing on something that someone wore on a day that was memorable. Yeah, you know? um, yeah, same thing, same concept. Yeah. It's like yeah, this. I, and it's, I, a, it's an American slice of Americana. Exactly. Yeah, I and it kind of remind me of like the first time Zoe and I hung out. She wore overalls, and like if I were to write an emo song, I think I would write, you know, about the girl with the overalls on, uh, or coveralls, overalls, whatever they were. Um, the girl with the overalls on is a great fucking song title. That yeah, that's that's country. I should text Cody Red Garrett right now and be like, if you ever wrote <laughs> the girl with the overalls, I'm gonna write it. Um, but yeah, like you said, the song is a jammer, and I think this playlist needed something simple. Like it has some do do. Like that is like we're getting into the early two thousands here, baby, and I love the huge instrumental breaks. That is something I think emo music could take a note from. And it, I think it inspired bands like Jail Socks, who eventually kind of took that on and like ran with it a little bit, and maybe not as much on their uh, album that we talked about, but definitely on like current emo, they are taking their time a little bit more, which is awesome. Some of my favorite artists were inspired by The Promise Ring, and I think this is obvious that they were, like, the future. Like, hearing mm-hmm. this was completely different, sonically, uh, production quality-wise, and it inspired bands like The Starting Line, who's, we're going to talk about them next week, one of my favorite bands of all time. So, yeah, Red and Blue Jeans just felt right. I listened to a lot of that um, that album, and a lot of them were good, but like I was just looking. We're at track seven. I was looking for something a little different, you know, something that rocked. And this felt like a true rocker. I really I appreciate the fact that you put this playlist together like you were actually making me a mixtape in high school. Yeah, that oh, yeah. makes me feel very very happy. I can't wait to talk about next week's playlist because <laughs> anyway, we'll get to it here in a minute. Um, track eight. Say Yes by Elliot Smith uh, from 1997's Either Or. And did you know much about Elliot Smith before this week? Yeah, no, I knew a lot about, uh, not a lot, but I, I was very aware of Elliot Smith. One of my one of my really good friends in high school loved Elliot Smith, and he died when I was in high school. So he was distraught about it. And uh, sorry to kind of steal your thunder on the notes there. No. But, um, so I started listening to a little bit of Elliot Smith just through him. And I'll get into it a little bit later about my thoughts on it. But uh, yeah, so yes, I I was more aware of Elliot Smith than anyone else on this list. Very cool. Yeah, uh, he played in a band called Height Miser for several years. And then he began his solo career in 1994 with uh, releases on the independent record label Cavity Search and Kill Rockstars. In 1997, he signed a contract with DreamWork Records uh, for which he recorded two albums. Um, he rose to uh, mainstream prominence when his song Miss Misery included in the soundtrack for the movie Goodwill Hunting, uh, one of my favorites. And uh, that song was nominated for a 1998 Academy Award for Best Original Song. Uh, Smith was a heavy drinker and a drug user and was diagnosed with ADHD and depression. His struggles with drugs and mental illness affected his life and work and often appeared in his lyrics. In 2003, at age 34, he died in Los Angeles from two stab wounds to his chest, and the autopsy evidence did not determine whether the wounds were self-inflicted. From what I read, he got in an argument with his girlfriend, and she went and got in the shower, and when she came out, he had stabbed himself twice in the chest. 
Um, I'm not going to speculate because it's been so long and I don't know enough about it besides what I read, but it's it's a very sad story either way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I end up drawing Jeff Buckley comparisons here in a little bit. Um, at the time of his death, Smith was working on his sixth studio album from from a basement on the hill, which was posthumously produced and released in 2004, very similar to Jeff Buckley. And uh, since his death, Smith has been regarded as one of the most influential artists in indie music. Many artists have mentioned Smith as their influence, such as Frank Ocean, Beck, Phoebe Bridgers, Julian Baker, and Haim's lead vocalist, Daniel Haim. Some titans there. I know. Um, But yeah, this is the brand of emo that always felt so cool to me. Like just a guy with an acoustic guitar and singing like kind of hushed, but eloquently worded lyrics and like the tight t-shirt and like maybe some wristbands or something, you know, kind of Jason Mrazzy but like way more like way more smart and like intellectual. And I call it like Zach Braff emo because it, it feels like the song <laughs> would fit in like garden state <laughs> or like on an episode of scrubs. But um, yeah, this is catchy as hell for not having much to it. Um, I was not very hip to Elliot Smith. Uh, this is a Chaz recommendation. He picked the song and he picked the artist and I think this gives the mixtape a little something it was missing. And I think that's because it is a little Jeff Buckley-y. It's a little more acoustic. And what's emo without an acoustic song? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I said, oh, yes, Elliot Smith, the sad boy king. Uh, I think this is the true origins if, of emo as we know it today. Where, yeah, we've talked about the bands that kind of set up what it would become, I think, sonically but i think just this kind of songwriting and lyric lyric composition is what really set the stage mainly because of the just the time period right he was making music right before that big explosion of it and then he he passed away and so he became even more part of the social consciousness and then he became more readily available to people who would then go on to write music similar to this. So I don't think he would see it that way. I think he was just writing music that he liked in a style that he enjoyed and doing it, just writing music that was important to him. Uh, You know, and I think there's something cool to that. Uh, When I was doing a bit of research on it, because I wanted to refresh myself on Elliot Smith, um, I saw him compared to Nick Drake a lot of like Pink Moon fame. And I was like, eh, I guess, like the way they sound stylistically, maybe. But I think that's where the comparison ends. Like, I think just vocally, they they may be in a similar soundscape. But I don't know that that the comparison bothered me a lot. I don't know why, <laughs> um, but it just did. But um, but this is exactly the kind of stuff that I didn't understand growing up, right? Because I was just in a very different place musically, and. I just remember thinking like, I don't know why this is so popular because it was so soft and kind of floofy to be so deep in your feelings like that. I just, I, I like, ugh, at the mere mention of it. <laughs> and it wasn't until my buddy, uh, Greg Connie, who, um, he, he won't listen to this. So I don't mind name dropping him, but <laughs> he, he was a huge Elliot Smith fan. And I, I started listening to him through Greg a little bit. And again, I didn't get it at the time, but there's something 
we've talked about it a bunch. There's this pure essence to his songwriting um, that I was maybe too childish to really get, but I get it better now. Authenticity always wins. Even it's just, it's just a whisper of a whispery vocal and a guitar and a guy talking about his feelings. There's an authenticity to it that always wins the day. Um, this isn't just like sissy love pop indie. It's a guy, it's a great musician just writing music that he likes. And I think that's the, the, the magic of Elliot Smith that I was missing back in the day. And, um, it was cool to revisit Elliot Smith after almost 20 years at this point and uh, come at it with a fresh lens. Uh, now this isn't something I'm going to put on repeat by any means, but I, I, I like this song and I like Elliot Smith now than I think I probably ever had before because I wasn't just like trying to make my friend feel better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, would you, I, would you I, agree I, about the Jeff Buckley? Yeah, I can see it for sure. I mean, Jeff Buckley was a little was way more high energy um in a lot of his stuff and but I definitely I see that comparison where you're drawing it, especially when he gets very whispery and very mm-hmm. kind of that's that's where we coined ethereal, right? Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. Was that that and very used first it for episode. the next 100 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I I definitely see that, man, 100%. And I you know, I thought we talked about it before the episode. I was like I feel like Jeff Buckley should be in this playlist somewhere, but we've already covered his one album <laughs> yeah. released while he was alive. And it's the only good Jeff Buckley album, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, because his, his posthumous album isn't as good. So, um, but yeah, I, I totally, totally see that. Yeah. I, Elliot Smith, special shout out to Chaz for that one. Um, it was a, a, a nice surprise. I think I had something else in there. And when we were kind of going over the list, he brought him up and he was like, I, I feel like he needs to be in there. And I totally agree. I agree. I agree. Uh, So our track nine, 10 minutes by get up kids from 1999, something to write home about Um, the get up kids. They're, they're an American punk rock band from Olathe, Kansas Uh, formed in 1995. The band was a major player in the 1990s Midwest emo scene. Otherwise it's known as the second wave. Like we've been talking about Uh, their second album, something to write home about remains their most widely acclaimed album um, and is considered to be one of the most quintessential albums of the second wave emo movement. They're considered forefathers of the emo genre and have been widely credited as being an influence, both with contemporaries like Saves the Day and later bands like Fall Out Boy, Taking Back Sunday, and The Wonder Years, which uh, I heard about them first from The Wonder Years, I believe. So um, due to internal conflicts, the band broke up in 2005, uh, three years later, the band reunited to support the 10th anniversary re-release of something to write home about, and soon afterward entered the studio to write new material. In early 2010, the band released Simple Science, their first release in six years, followed in 2011 by the full-length There Are Rules. Uh, their most studio, their most recent studio album, Problems, was seen as many as a return to their early style, which released in 2019. I haven't listened to it, but that's kind of exciting to know they're still kicking all this time later. Yeah. Um, did you have something to say? Nope. I'm, I'm, okay. ha- I'm handing the, the ball to you. You jolted up like you had something I was uh, interrupting you with. Nope. Okay. <laughs> My leg was uh, so yeah. Okay. I got you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I definitely needed this jolt of energy after Elliot Smith because you know, as much as I, you know, I enjoyed listening to that, I was like, fuck, I, 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 I need saw, I need a jolt. Um, 
but yeah so i mean with the last track you proved you can make indie folk accessible and have it still be about your feelings and it still be good so why not pop punk right i can get down on this like the lyrics aren't too cringe because they it feels self-aware like a this is a guy kind of like how do i want to put this it's a guy arguing with himself about like my friends just don't get it kind of thing. Uh, you know, and it's just a kid that is in love that happens to be a pump pop, in a pop punk band. Uh, who says punk has to be about fighting the man when you're fighting your own feelings. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, 100%. I think that's, I think it's a cool thing to see. And I think again, this is, we're getting closer and closer to what would eventually lead to the MCRs and stuff like that, where, Again, we're getting back to something, a, a genre that I'm more relatable to. And again, like I said at the top of the episode, it became something that felt more like a bastardization of what I loved versus something that it was worth my time. So, um, but no, I think now I, I love this. I love this track a lot. It was a lot of fun to listen to and and uh, and actually read the lyrics for and just see it was, it wasn't there, you know, it's just a kid in love. Yeah. 10 minutes isn't too far. Yeah. It's emo as hell. And, uh, I can appreciate when people like show vulnerability, especially in, in a genre that isn't necessarily like pop punk isn't always it's sometimes it's whiny, but this is a little more like it's it's on me more than it is like she screwed me. That's over. what it is. Yes. A hundred percent. I think that's what I was trying to say is this is on me. It's not, I'm not whining. I'm just like, fuck, I'm, <laughs> this is on me. Yeah. It's it's kind of just navigating like insecurities about relationships and tough times. Yeah. And that's timeless, man. That it's very grown up for a band and one of their first albums. Um, but yeah, the get up kids is another band that like my favorite bands grew up listening to. So influential by proxy, I guess, and I always felt bad for not listening to him. And I felt even worse this week, especially the promise ring and this band, the get up kids. I was like, damn, the, these bands rip. And I've just like, we're like, ah, out of my, for whatever reason, it's like, oh, it came before 2000. I don't care. Fuck them. Um, you can't listen to them all, Bill. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know. I'm hard every- on myself, but I also feel like as the emo historian, I needed to. I mean, I, I it's like every time I hear a metal band that I hadn't that I didn't know existed, I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? And I'm like, I need to listen to this band more, and I just never do. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like I it's like I can't. I have so much other music I want to listen to. Uh-huh. I'll get to these guys eventually, and I, you know, it is what it is, man. Those are all the playlists I've made and all the albums I've saved that just never gonna get listened to. Yeah, Collect I was trying to dust. pick a song of the. Sh- I was trying to pick a song of the show today, and I was like, I'm just gonna go back through my old just generic metal playlist and i was scrolling through i was like oh fuck what the fuck is this band i obviously liked them for like a week <laughs> and so that's exactly what i talk about it's like there's bands that i love that i just don't not that i don't give a shit about it, i just don't have the bandwidth to listen to them. yeah but yeah the, the get up kids they have like the pop punkiest sound i think we've heard yet and yeah. it reminds me of newfound like very early newfound glory which i think we both agree we love early newfound glory uh, yep, Catalyst is one of my top twenty-five albums of all time. Maybe sure. I don't know. <laughs> Fuck it, I'll say it. It's top twenty-five. Um, yeah, it's 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 closer. It's it's not top ten, but twenty-five feels like yeah. Whatever. Yeah, I can well, make yeah. Some there. <laughs> Nobody's got to really fact-check that. If I have to make a list, it probably won't make it. But you know, today it does because <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about it right now. Um, 
Let's get into our last track of the second wave of emo, Never Meant by American Football from 1999's self-titled American Football. Um, so if you remember, Mike Kinsella from Captain Jazz uh, created this band. Um, and despite the group's short initial lifespan, their self-titled their self-titled debut album became one of the most acclaimed emo and math rock records of its era. Still huge. Everyone knows that opening guitar riff, whether it's from TikTok or just from life. Everyone knows it. And uh, within a year of the release of its full length, American Football became a studio project. And shortly thereafter, the band mutually decided to just stop recording altogether. Still, American Football gained critical acclaim for that album, which merged uh, the plain-spoken confessional lyrics and the varying time signatures of math rock with a softer musical sensibility. These characteristics carried on in Mike Kinsella's solo project, Owen, which I loved for a very long time. And Kinsella would later re-record Never Meant as Owen in 2004, which if you are just finding that out like I did a few days ago, don't bother. It's not that good. Um, <laughs> they he, never are, right? The The guitar, he doesn't even bring over the guitar. It, it's kind of like a lazy acoustic version. So don't yeah. don't bother. Um, American Football reunited in 2014 with uh, Kinsella's cousin Nate Kinsella joining the band and has since released two more albums, both bearing the same name as their debut album, uh, American Football of 2016 and American Football of 2019. Um, I think they just call them like LP2 and LP3 which is cool. Um, yeah. Do I go first? Is it my turn? I've got, I don't know. I feel like I've been going first the entire time. (laughs) Yeah, maybe you have. And I'm going to go first. Cause, uh, yeah. Like, like I told, uh, Jeremy, uh, when I posted this on Twitter and he replied, never meant by American football, it's probably a basic pick, but whatever. And I said, you know, this could be considered low hanging fruit, but sometimes the easiest answer is the most correct. And it's the right one. Yeah. This mixtape is nothing without this song. This album was huge for my formative years. And it kind of just, I've, and I've, I was kind of thinking about why this song is so important to me. And I think it just hypnotizes me in a way that I rarely feel with music. It kind of just like slows me down. And I think it's the switching of the time signatures and the like, almost like lulling of the, of the sound and it kind of slows my mind, body, and spirit down. And that guitar, the the timely, intricate drums, and Mike's kind of underwhelming vocals kind of create this atmosphere that is, like, euphoric and tragic at the same time. Like, the lyrics are not that tragic. A lot of it has to do with, like, going to college and breaking up with your girlfriend or what's life going to be like after I leave my hometown. That kind of shit isn't that momentous, but the way this song makes me feel is. So... You know, this the self-titled record is one of my favorites of all time, and it's the first uh, vinyl record I ever bought. And it's just like, it's one of those things that's so great because what is this if it's not emo? I have no idea. You call it math rock, and that's like, it doesn't feel appropriate. It's it's just no, it's emo, not. man, and it's beautiful. Uh, yeah, that, that, that classification of math rock, when you said that, it was like, eh, I mean, I guess. <laughs> it just doesn't really feel right. Rough. It doesn't. It doesn't. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I the thing is, like you say, you, you have heard this song, but I don't. Rec- I didn't re- recollect it when I first heard it. All I heard was fucking an awesome, awesome intro. 
this fucking intro is so fucking good. It's just wonderfully constructed. Um, and that, that, that construction continues to build on itself in the bed the entire song. It remains this beautifully simple but complex, incredibly clean. It's the clarity of this instrumental bed is so fucking good. And I, I wrote this, had the same note. It hypnotizes you because you're like, it doesn't, there's something about it that it all works. Maybe that's why they get the math rock label because it doesn't sound like it should work, but it definitely does. There's some, there's some beautiful calculations going on there that make it work. And, um, but yeah, again, it's underneath this musing of it's let's just pretend this was never meant because it's easier to forget. And I did, I did the last line backwards, but, um, there's something I, I I like that it's a simple solution to a not so simple problem. Or maybe it is a simple problem, but there's, there's a beautiful eloquence in that. It's like, yeah, we weren't meant to be together. So let's just pretend that it was never meant. So it's easier for, so we can just move on and get on with our lives. It's not like super sad. Like you said, it's, it's more of like a very pragmatic approach to, I feel like shit. So I'm just going to pretend like, yeah, I'll just I'll just make up like, yeah, you know, we weren't meant to be together. You know, you hear that after every single breakup, right? It's like, yeah, you guys weren't right for each other. Yeah, it just wasn't meant and, to be. Yeah, yeah, and then this is just a more poetic way of putting it. So, and as you know, I was like, that sucks. <laughs> we've all we've all been there. Um, but yeah, man, to me, it's the construction, of, like you said, it's the construction of this song that really grabbed me. And I, I almost just, I want to hear, I almost want to hear like an instrumental isolation of this track, just so I can kind of pick out all the neat little bits that were going on underneath. Um, but it wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't be as interesting to listen to without the vocals. Um, but for a, me, who just enjoys picking apart instrumentals, um, I want to know where that feeling came from. I want to know what I'm not hearing subliminally. And uh, I don't know, this this song is captivating. I was I was really tempted to make it my favorite pick, but I I did listen to the other two songs way more just because that's the kind of energy I needed this week. Yeah. Um, so, but you know, do you, do you remember the other song I picked from this album for the bonfire playlist? Uh, no, not it's not top of mind. Okay. I, it, my mind is mush right now. Okay. You have to understand. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I, I was just wondering if if you remembered it and if it. Like this song is obviously the best song on the album, and it's track one. But I picked another one for the bonfire playlist, and I was just, uh, "I'll see you when we're both not so emotional." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that now. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah again, same kind of same kind of like simple concept, but done beautifully, right? Mm-hmm. So that that's the best thing. Yeah. In in life. So there it is, jaded January week one. We did it. We did. We um. did. <laughs> I came. I came. I came out alive on the other side. Yeah. And uh, I think that's that's more than what I was. I was. I was like I told you. I told you what last week. I was like, I'm kind of scared to do this because I don't want to hate it. You know what I mean? I really, really don't. But I'm also going to be honest about it. Yeah. And if I don't like a track, I'm going to be completely honest as to why. But this week, I you came out unscathed, Bill. You got ten for ten this week. I feel good, so, man. I, that that was such a fun playlist to put together or mixtape for me because it reminded me of building CDs for 
significant others or something like that was that playlist was curated specifically for us to enjoy together it's like we went on yeah. a road trip together and listened to it yeah um if you want to listen to the emo mixtape along with us uh i have the links on spotify and for apple music yes i'm doing apple music this month um boo, boo. it's inferior <laughs> but i do it to cater to people um and yeah, let's do songs of the show and then we'll talk about next week. Sick. I'll let you go uh, first. You want me to go? All right, cool. Um, I needed something completely different energy. That's kind of why I was looking for just like an old metal track that I love, but I didn't find anything I wanted to listen to. So I had this spark of inspiration about a song I absolutely love. And it's Love is in Control, Finger on the Trigger by Donna Summer. Uh, and it's just a classic dance track. Uh, I, I remember showing this to Ben and he fucking lost his mind. And every time I would like hop on, play like video games with him, I'd hear this fucking song in the background. I'm like, are you fucking listening to Donna Summer again? And he's like, fuck yeah, man, the song rocks. <laughs> and it does. This this chorus is just so fucking infectious. I, I, I Every time I hear it, it puts me in a better mood. It's just, it's one of those songs that's undeniable. It's, yeah, it's a banger. Yes. I, I had no idea what to expect. I was expecting like an 80s track. No, this is a straight like up fucking disco track. track, buddy. Yeah, this I is love a it. disco dance track. Yeah, great pick. Um, My song of the show is Million Miles of Fun by Drug Church. Um, I had heard them cover a Mighty Mighty Boston song earlier this year on like a, one of those compilations where people just cover songs for whatever reason. I think it was Pure Noise Records, which is where we got the the microwave cover of the Sublime song of Santeria. It's on the same album as that. But um, Drug Church, I started digging into them. They released this album in February, and this song has like the uh, the the best intro I've heard this week. <laughs> I've been listening to a lot of a uh, lot of different music, and this like. The horns at the beginning. Oh, it gets the juices going. So um, Drug Church, it's a great workout album if you're looking for something. And it's um, kind of more like a aggro alt rock. I don't know. It's it's cool. Yeah, that's. I think that's a pretty accurate descriptor. I was pumped to hear it. I was like, fuck, yeah, sweet. I've been listening to these same 10 songs all week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I, I needed something different, and uh, that was something completely different. I was like, fuck, yeah, thank you, Bill. Yeah, <laughs> I needed this. Uh, so, yeah, Million Miles of Fun by Drug Church. Go check it out. I got the link and for just Spotify on our songs of the show. Um, yeah. Get, so, get the right streaming app. Yeah. Fucking pleb. Yeah, if if you really want to listen to our songs of the show and you got Apple Music, Google it then. I don't know what to tell you. Um, <laughs> yeah, go watch it on YouTube, you scrub. <laughs> Put it in Bandcamp, you nerd. <laughs> oh shit. Um <laughs> so so next week we are doing week two of uh Jaded January where we're gonna cover Emo Wave Three, which is two thousand to two thousand nine. Um, my buddy Chaz and I have already made this playlist and I'm very excited to talk about it. Um, we got together a few nights ago, drank some bourbon and him and I had like 30 artists, not exaggerating. We both had 30 artists and there was not, a, there was some crossover, but not a whole lot. And we literally 
he put it on his Bluetooth speaker and we just like went through and kind of picked artists. And and then when we got down to the 10 artists, which took forever, we got 10 songs uh, from those artists. It was euphoric. It was a really great night of just like getting to listen to that old music. I haven't listened to in a really long time. And I'm really proud of the playlist. So um, that, that, what that scene you just described, there's nothing better than sitting down with a friend or a group of friends with a very specific goal in mind and just sharing drinks and sharing food and just fucking getting to it. And you're doing it because for no other reason than you want to, that's fucking beautiful, man. <laughs> it, it, we took it way too serious, man. It was, no, yeah, I think- it was heated debates. Um, and it was kind of, we kind of did like the vibe check, like, does this vibe or is this a banger yeah like uh <laughs> i think he sent me a clip of uh you ever watch parks and rec uh-huh uh what's what's the little dude's name you know what i'm talking about uh yes. tom yes. tom from parks and rec he's like i have a very strict rule is it a banger and he like has like like does it bang and he <laughs> listens to it he's like if, if i don't bang to it then i don't want it so yep. that was that was us for like two and a half hours so it was great it was a lot of fun and uh i'm, I'm excited for you to hear it because it is gonna get we're gonna get into the world where i know kevin isn't gonna like it and um i'm kind of excited to get one of our friends on next week to uh outnumber you and sell you on it that's fine it's fine it's i mean that's the way it should be it's the way anytime i bring up a band i like i always outnumber you with i know i'm gonna have backup and you do the same uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm very protective of that music, even if it's not really great. So um, I'm really excited <laughs> to do it. So if you want to check out our, our Off the Beaten Cleft social media, uh, go to offthebeatencleft.com. We have some merch on there. Um, go to Instagram, at offthebeatencleft. Our Twitter is at offcleft. And if you want to send us an email, offthebeatencleft at gmail.com. We also have a link to our Discord in our show notes. Yeah, join it. It's... Uh... It's a lot of fun. I know we say that every week, but um, very rarely do we talk about the show. Yeah, <laughs> when we share we share music, and uh, it's almost now turned into what did I buy at the thrift store this week? <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. I always love seeing those notifications pop up, especially when it's like Louis sharing whatever weird article he found on the internet or whatever very niche meme he found. It's uh, I don't know. It's fun. Yeah. Come on in. Come on. Come on in. All right. (laughs) Next week, Jaded January, week two. Get your mind right. All right, folks. We'll see you next week. (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs)